0: Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. You're, you're getting into the, uh, the davenant convivium spirit, so you're, you're talking to one another and highly caffeinated, which uh, excites us. I'm going to introduce our next speaker, uh, which is Lizzie Nesbitt, She's the principal of Emanuel Christian School uh, in Oxford since September 2017. Before that, uh, lived in Johannesburg for nine years, London for four, Oxford for seven. Cheltenham for 16, Belfast for two, which I think might place you in sort of more locations of various inklings than anybody else in the room um, over the course of your life. Uh, Married to her husband, Glenn, has two children, Joseph and Zoe, can't be here. Glenn, of course, is watching, Joseph and Zoe, Um, and Lizzie will be uh, giving her paper on Becoming Towards a Christian Philosophy and Practice of Education. Join me in welcoming uh, Lizzie Nesbitt.
1: So I hope it doesn't constrain you too much, but I've put a handout for you which hopefully puts down some of the salient points for you to take home as as we think together. So in 2008, my husband and I moved to Johannesburg in South Africa, and in 2011, I was privileged to become head of Latin at St. John's College. It was a school set up in 1898, and it was revived by a number of Oxford movement men, including James Oakey Nash, who'd studied classics at Hartford College, and Eustace Hill, who studied at Christchurch. A later headmaster, Dean Yates, studied classics at Oriel, and his first teaching job was at Mill Hill School in London. That's where I had my first teaching position as well, and so that's some of what I mean by privilege. I felt I followed in the footsteps of visionary educators who travelled a not dissimilar route to my own. The school motto was Lux Vita Caritas, or Light, Life and Love, which resonated with many of my educational values. when our son was turning five and we had the opportunity to send him to the pre-prep department i turned to my husband at one point during the tour and said i'm not sure this is what we're looking for maybe i should set up my own school (laughs) having children is one of the ways we can bring into focus who we are and where we've come from so today i want to reflect on two stories my own educational story and the values which were formed in me and the story of emmanuel christian school and how we're seeking to embed a deep christ-centered philosophy of education into all that we do. The Russian educator Lev Vygotsky in Mind and Society says this, human learning presupposes a specific social nature and a process by which children grow into the intellectual life of those around them. And Ron Richart, who's a contemporary writer, says this, this statement of Vygotsky beautifully captures what enculturation means. It means surrounding the child with the kind of intellectual life, mental activity and processes of learning to which we want them to grow accustomed. It suggests that learning to learn is an apprenticeship in which we don't so much learn from others as we learn with others in the midst of authentic activities. If we take Vygotsky's quote to heart, we must take a hard look at our homes, our schools and classrooms and ask ourselves about the kind of intellectual life with which we're surrounding our children. What kinds of models do they see? What kind of opportunities do they experience? What kinds of thinking are being valued, privileged, and promoted on a daily basis? So what were some of the cultural forces at work on me as I grew up? I grew up in a home with a father who was an Old Testament scholar. He particularly loved the Pentateuch and Psalms, and each morning we had family devotions antiphonally reading Psalms before leaving to school, which made lateness quite a hazard when you are in Psalm 119. He tried to teach us Hebrew, but failed to get beyond Daddy, Comes, Fish, and Good Night. And my sister and I spent one holiday preparing the bibliography of his magnum opus, in the days where you didn't have cut and paste on a computer, you cut and paste the bits of paper and then stuck them onto another piece of paper, and we got paid 5p for each book that we stuck down. (laughs) While some people went on summer holidays in France for the sun, we also found the birthplace of Calvin, the Taizé community, and a lot of French cathedrals. And I didn't realise my dad was remotely influential until my best friend at school said, apparently he has students from all over the world who study under him. And I replied, not really. He just has Americans, Australians, Japanese, South Africans and
0: Germans.
1: (laughs) So although my geography wasn't very hot, I learnt many things from home. That learning is as much caught as taught, as much cultural as cognitive. That good learning doesn't happen in a greenhouse but in a field. And that clarity is more important than sounding clever and that service is more important than status. And the royalties from dad's books had contributed towards us attending a school with a clear Christian foundation where a dynamic and eccentric headmaster instilled in us the belief that we're all unique and everyone is excellent at something and the purpose of education is not to be the same as everybody else, but to find and develop our gifts and strengths. We enjoyed a choral tradition where more Bible dripped into my bloodstream and habits and patterns of Christian worship were formed in me. I came to Oxford to study classics and finished up with an ancient and modern history degree. I studied Augustine in my fourth year, including his work on Christian education. There are many things I wish I'd learnt at Oxford, but I probably wasn't mature enough intellectually or emotionally to take hold of them. But the residuals of the experience have been to enable me to make good use of what I know, to navigate areas of uncertainty, to know what you don't know so you can ask the right questions to grow, to be resilient. And only learning that is free from fear can be learning that is full. But it was also at Oxford where my understanding of grace fell into place. Um, There was a sermon on Philippians 1, verse 21, to live is Christ to die is gain, which was very significant for me in helping me understand that the treasure at the heart of my treasured Christian upbringing was Christ himself. One phrase which became formational for me was how can I, as the person I am, with the gifts God has given me, best serve the kingdom in my lifetime? Post Oxford, I got married and moved to London, where my husband was studying at Oak Hill, and I started teaching classics. Oak Hill was a seedbed of lots of thinking about discussion about Christian education, and I duly read the works of Canon Press and dabbled with Van Til. But my question was always, how does this transform what's on the ground? My second post was in a girls' school in central London with a Catholic head of department who'd done exactly the same degree as me ten years earlier and had a similar similar spiritual experience at Oxford. And she also studied Augustine in her fourth year. Under her guidance, I became a much better teacher and was given freedom to reach into the truths that the classical world touched on to prod and poke children's understanding about bigger realities. The quote from Herman Bavik below, or it's on your sheet, encapsulates some of what I was instinctively and falteringly trying to do. The good philosophical thoughts and ethical precepts found scattered through the pagan world receive in Christ their unity and centre, They stand for the desire which in Christ finds its satisfaction. They represent the question to which Christ gives the answer. They're the idea of which Christ furnishes the reality. The pagan world, especially in its philosophy, is pedagogy unto Christ. And then we moved to South Africa where I didn't expect to teach Latin as there were very few schools in the country who did. But St. John's came knocking and helped by the pioneering mindset which is such a positive aspect of South African life, I was granted incredible freedom to develop and grow and question. Teaching cross-culturally is a very good way to think about the telos of education, because every education system has different values and goals. They may look the same on the surface, but not once you probe underneath. I chatted once to somebody who works at the OECD, who run the PISA tests, and she said, I don't really agree with PISA. You can't really compare educational systems when when they have such different goals. But I can't say that in Paris. For me, I found out the hard way when, after successfully teaching A level Latin in England, my South African pupils didn't ace their final exam. Because while I thought the goal of studying Latin literature was so you could understand and value its meaning, its nuance, and beauty, in South Africa, top grades were achieved by knowing which road the conspirators in the Ad Catalinum left on and obscure uses of the dative case. But the good fruit that came from that was that the headmaster contacted the exam board and said, Don't you think it's time you had a new examiner? The old one was 76 and thought about how the Latin curriculum could be more aligned with what's going on elsewhere. I've got a young lady who you could let loose on it. So they let me chair a conference on looking at Latin around the world, they let me rewrite the curriculum, and then they let me set the final exam. So I was very privileged to teach Latin in a way I thought it should be done, knowing that the exit exam would evaluate success by the same standard. Teaching Latin in a country where few people study it made me think hard about how to make sure its relevance connected with other subjects. I ran a cross-curricular astronomy week and then set up a blog called Integra, reflecting on how the classical world is often a golden thread connecting different strands of learning. The blog also reflected Integra's other meaning of untouched or pure, and sought to write about learning in a way which was true, beautiful and good. I set up a book and blog club for teachers to wrestle with the thinking of other educators and let it inform their own thinking, and then we began Friday Forum, a meeting place for staff to discuss different elements of a holistic education. Probably the most satisfying thing I did was um, to be able to do was to run something called Africa Month, which was helping boys from a very privileged background reflect on what it meant to be placed in Africa. We pulled in a range of speakers, artists and workshop leaders, who made the boys ask the question, Africa, what's your story? And we also made them ask, what's your story in Africa? And reflect on how those two stories might intersect. And out of that, I was then invited to rewrite the Leavers' Commission... Um, which you have on your sheet, but I'm not going to read because I get a bit welled up when I read it. When I started at the school, the headmaster, who was a keen Christian, said to me, I like the way you wear your Christian faith on your sleeve, and I want you to know you have a mandate to shape your classroom with your Christian faith. One of the ways I did that was to ask, what does it mean to be a learner made in the image of God? What does it mean to think creatively, curiously, and courageously in a way that's not self-promoting, but serves others in our mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. I started reflecting on what courage in learning looks like after reading the work of Carol Dweck. I presented these ideas at a conference in Cape Town under the title Doing Dweck and fleshed out the principles in a critical thinking curriculum back in Joburg. And that's where our own children's education came in because at the point we were making choices for our son, this much I knew I wanted. I wanted an education which allowed my children to explore the world with freedom understanding that it's all held together by wisdom. I wanted an education that was rooted in a rich understanding of the society in which they'd been placed. And I wanted an education soaked in the story of scripture. So our children were homeschooled by a lady who just happened to finishing homeschooling her own, who just happened to live 600 meters from our house and just happened to like Charlotte Mason's philosophy. And for two years they explored topics through books I borrowed from the school library and the nature they found in the garden. They were the intellectual equivalent of free range chickens, and it was a very happy time in their development. Then the UK came knocking, and we wondered what we might do for schooling then. We knew of a manual, and when I clicked on the website, I discovered they were looking for a principal with particular experience in staff and curriculum development. The school story was that they'd come close to closing down in summer 2016, but had considered what moving forward in a sustainable way would look like. The main answer was a reformation in leadership, moving from being a school which was largely controlled through a board of parent governors with a head on the ground, putting their vision into practice, to appointing a principal who would set and drive vision while being accountable to the board of governors. The school had been started in 1988 by five families who wanted to set up a school which taught a Christian worldview. At its inception, a local Christian businessman approached them and said, here's £1,000 for your school, and one day I'll buy you a site. In 1995, one came up for sale in Littlemore, and there's a little plaque on the edge of the building which says, This school was built in 1838 by John Henry Newman, because it's his parish church which is next door. So I have a similar sense of the privilege I enjoyed in South Africa, and in knowing that day by day, the school continues the vision he had for Christian education in an area which is not elite or privileged. So, what did putting the convictions I developed in my teaching career? look like in practice at a manual. The first professional I spoke to about the job was the headmaster who'd given me that mandate to shape my classroom with my Christian faith and I said do you know what I think the heart of Christian learning is about? It's about enabling children to experience the life to the full that Jesus promised and the learning to the full as we seek him with heart, soul, mind and strength and he said that sounds good, there's your vision. It's now a Christian school for Oxford promoting life and learning to the full but it's a sieve through which I evaluate the value of everything we do. I came for interview in January 2017 and had a number of tasks throughout the day. One of them was to present my vision for Christian education to the staff, and I spoke about Augustine and his vision for learning shaped by love and for love. I spoke about a vision of Christian learning which pursued truth, beauty, and goodness in a Christocentric way. I spoke about learning which was enculturated. Um, and this is what I said as part of it. Values-driven education is alive and well in the UK, but what fascinates me is there can be confusion about the nature of these values and even more about how to inculcate them into students. Meanwhile, Christian educators who've had a significant impact in their sphere have spent time reflecting on the source of truth, beauty and goodness and allowed them to permeate their practice. If education is a discipline, a life and atmosphere... No how-to manual can fully prescribe what a Christian syllabus must look like. Instead, as we allow the contours of the gospel to transform the roots of our practice, the medium in which we practice, and the purpose for which we practice, we'll be enabling ourselves and students to meditate on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. It was a manifesto for my vision of Christian education, and it deliberately didn't contain the words biblical worldview. Because my instinct was that biblical worldview often acts as a straitjacket, not permitting intellectual adventure until ideas have been vetted and sterilized, rather than living out the conviction that the whole earth has been made by God and for God, and though creation is marred by the fall, God's wisdom is woven into every crevice, and all truth still belongs to him. But as I touched on in my talk, I also felt, too often, articulation of Christian education focused on information rather than formation. When I got back to South Africa, I gave Glenn, my husband, the Christmas present for my dad, which he duly started reading, and he started reading out quotes to me from it, which put my instincts into words. Many Christian schools, colleges, and universities have taken on board a picture of the human person that owes more to modernity and the Enlightenment than it does to the holistic biblical vision of human persons. In particular, Christian education has absorbed a philosophical anthropology that sees human beings as primarily thinking things. The result has been an understanding of education largely in terms of information. More, sp- More specifically, the end of Christian education has been the communication and dissemination of Christian ideas rather than the formation of a peculiar people. This can be seen most acutely, I think, in how visions of Christian education have been articulated in terms of a Christian worldview. Um, that's James K.A. Smith. And out of that crystallization grew the question, what does a peculiar people seeking God with heart, soul, mind, and strength look like as they learn? So I wrote a few articles, and it started emerging that all the characteristics of learning I describe, what others might call intellectual virtues, began with a C. And so to be biblical, I made sure there were seven. And they became um, that we promote the Christian faith, um, we could maybe say proclaim, Um, We disciple a Christian conscience, and again, I deliberately chose conscience over character to look at the heart of it, whereas character often in our secular society talks about something different. We develop courage, we foster curiosity, we we invite creativity, we expect contribution, and we celebrate growth in a way that promotes community. And I said in one of our meetings at school, it's learning here where it's not dog-eat-dog, where I can learn at others' expense but where wolf and lamb both thrive, learning with worship at the center where knowledge isn't a goal in itself and we look forward to the earth being filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. But once you've expressed the virtues you want children to grow into, how do you embed the telos of life and education, um, as I see it expressed in Genesis 128 in the cultural mandate, by developing courageous, curious inquirers who learn from the wisdom of creation and the wisdom of the past and respond with creative and constructive contribution. I called this talk Becoming, um, because I wanted to title it after a best-selling book, to acknowledge that we're not a finished script, but a story and process, and because I ref- as I reflect on the story of um, the last few years at the school, I can see the beauty of God's presence in the process. So I'm going to share with you how we embedded the cultural mandate in our yearly themes, our termly topics, our subject goals, our lesson plans. I'll share with you how we root the cultural mandate in the ultimate telos of learning, the love of God. I'll share how we've made the vision visible, recognising that culture has tangible forms. I'll share how we've drawn in and shaped others by the vision, including staff and parents, and then I'll share a few reflections. But before I do that, here's a video which we made last year which tried to express who we are to prospective parents. You can find it on the front page of our website. And as a quiz, um, but you're still free, you don't have to do it, um, uh, there are three questions. Can you tell me the three things that are written on the boat? There's a number, a name, and a Bible verse.
2: Hallmarks of life at Emmanuel Christian School is the genuine love of learning that children have. This is inspired by a curriculum designed to kindle curiosity and develop creativity in a culture of reflection. This curriculum is delivered by a diverse and gifted staff who love learning and helping others grow. Our library is designed to be an inspiring place so that children grow through reading books and discovering living ideas within them. Using material from the Bible Project weekly theology lessons walk children through the story of the Bible, anchoring them in an understanding of who they are, what they are made for, and who they are loved by. We teach history using the history of the world for the classical child, so that every child at Emmanuel walks through the broad scope of world history with a sense of excitement at its twists and turns, and anticipation about the part they might play in it. Our science curriculum, Wonderful Science, is designed not simply to help children know facts about the world, to view the world in its intricacy with awe and wonder. A broad range of subjects is taught at a level art, drama, English, geography, history, Latin, maths, music, PE, science, and technology. But we also focus on cultivating dispositions of lifelong learning. We believe that humans were made to be curious inquirers, making sense of the clues around us, that we were made to learn from the generations who've gone before us. And in community with one another. That we were made to be creative contributors, using the learning and skills we have to make a positive difference in the world. Our weekly Friday afternoon fun sessions embody this ethos, enabling children to do real life learning which stretches their thinking and develops their character. These values are embedded in our yearly curriculum. In the autumn term, we become detectives, follow footprints, or go on quests to explore areas of learning in the world. In the spring term, we look at discoveries made in the world in lands, across seas, in the skies, and under the earth. Our summer term theme focuses on inventors, city makers, city developers, writers, and artists to consider all the ways learning is being used to make a creative contribution to society. In both the content and the way these topics are taught, the habits of curiosity, reflection, and creativity become characteristics of the children's learning. In this way, we believe that learning as a manual is really learning to the full helping
1: children explore the world and the God who made it with heart, soul, mind and strength. So, the number um, on the boat was 3598. You might not have seen that. The name is Curiosity, and you might have seen the quote. We bought the boat from Abingdon Marina in December 2017, ready for our carpentry club to refit in the spring term. We coloured it green and yellow, which is our school colours, And then we had a competition to name it. We were in a term of discoveries, and one of our children suggested we called it curiosity because that's the fuel which takes us on life's best adventures. Um, We gave it the number 3598, not because that's my pin, which it isn't, um, (laughs) um, but because it's the finishing time of Roger Bannister in the first sub-four-minute mile. He died just before the boat was launched. And then we put the most important question we must all ask on the side. Who is this that even winds and waves obey him? Every child who visits the school loves to try the boat out, and for me, as they do so, they sit in an object which visibly expresses our vision for curious, courageous inquiry, creative transformation of the ground under our feet, an appreciation of the endeavours of the past, and helping children experience by faith and in community the most important discovery of all. And they sit in an object of eschatological resonance, of a people being kept safe under the lordship of Christ as they journey to the new creation, where the chaos and the destruction of the sea will be no more. In fact, we had an assembly in the boat at the beginning of this term where we acted out Jesus in the boat and they experienced that story in a living way. As you heard in the video, we have three yearly themes, one for each term. The first theme is curiosity, but we put it under concrete, things like detectives following footprints or quests. The second term theme is discoveries, and the third term is creators and contributors. And then we have topics under that theme, which I describe as generative, and you can see my definition of generative topic on your sheet so in the autumn term we went on a quest for beauty in creation and we studied the bee we went for a quest for truth in story studying legends and a quest for goodness in action learning about knights and chivalry this term we're making discoveries in the seas, skies, lands and rocks by crossing the oceans with the tea clippers notably the cutty sark climbing to the roof of the earth with Hillary and Tenzing and then racing to the moon in the 1960s But over the last three years, we've looked at individual disciplines too, considering how each academic subject sits within a broader telos. We first adopted history of the world for the classical child, which is one of the children's favorite things. We inherited a library from another school and set about making book-driven learning at the center of our literacy, listening to the questions books ask and considering how their answers are affirmed, confronted, and completed by the gospel. We introduce theology as a discrete subject, so children might have a chronological sense of the story they're called into through the gospel. Children begin begin learning Latin with me at seven. And wonderful science is our way of expressing that science does not need to be framed primarily as a battleground between a biblical worldview and a secular one, but that science is the disposition to explore and to respond to the world with wonder. We've introduced Mass for Life this year, showing children how Mass is woven into the pattern of creation and how Mass serves us in all of life's pursuits. To gain to the freedom to do much of this, one of my first requests to the board as principal was to leave Ofsted, the national um, watchdog. I felt that if being independent meant anything, it should mean the freedom to shape our learning around what was best, not what would pass. We joined the Independent Schools Association in December 2017 and were inspected in April 2018. The day they phoned to say they were coming, I just introduced our new lesson plans based on a framework by John Thompson from his book, This Much I Know About Love Over Fear. The lesson plan is driven by the questions that will invite children into deeper understanding. It looks easier than an Ofsted plan, but requires deep thinking to anticipate and visualize the dialogue, discussion and debate that will ensue and direct these towards a good goal. Part of our lesson planning armory is to use visible thinking, which is developed at Harvard Project Zero, which uses natural patterns of inquiry to scaffold children's learning. Last year at our open morning, our strap line was discover what's really inside, and this year it was the school where learning comes to life. Both of these encapsulate the greater goal of learning, knowledge of self through knowledge of God, learning which is connected and rich and makes connection with the ultimate source of life and meaning. At the start of each morning, we line up and follow the pattern of 1 Timothy 2, praying for ourselves, our country, our world, our school, our churches, on the five days of the week, one of those on each of the five days, embedding into children a sense of the different spheres of calling we're all called to care for. After registration each morning, we have assembly. Monday is our Bible assembly, where we have a passage which encapsulates some of the learning children are doing in a topic. And over the course of the topic, we learn it. So when we start mountains next week, we'll be learning Psalm 121. As we race to space, we'll learn Psalm 8. On Tuesdays, we have doctrine assemblies, which works on a three-year cycle. In year one we learnt the Apostles' Creed, in year two we learnt the Ten Commandments and in year three we're learning the Lord's Prayer. The aim is to teach children the deep truths these contain which unite them with the universal church. On Wednesday children reflect on the truth learnt in their theology lesson in individual classes. On Thursday we explore ventures of faith, learning from the life of faith of Christians in the past. On Friday we engage God's world, reflecting on what we're learning in the classroom is teaching us more of the wisdom of God revealed in his word. Through these, we root children in a biblical Catholic faith, acknowledging that the, the heroes of the faith have walked before us, and experiencing that, as Calvin said, there's not one blade of grass, there's not no colour in this world, that is not intended to make us rejoice. We hold regular thankfulness assemblies, um, in line with our last see, creating leaves for trees which express our celebration of learning. We celebrate Christmas and Easter in a rich way, appreciating the traditions of the past to enrich children's understanding. At the beginning and end of term, we sing our school song, written in 2018, which expresses the core of what it means to be part of a manual. Um, it's Trinitarian, Michael would like that, um, and then expresses what it means to be in Christ, from Christ, and for Christ in all of our learning. One of, my convinc- <clears throat> one of my convictions is that culture is visible, that it engages our God-given sense of aesthetics. You'll have noticed there's a lot of green and gold around the school, I've intentionally done that, not just because it saves time choosing colours. It also means that our colours, which remind us of trees and the Lordship of Christ, are visible to anyone who visits. You'll have noticed that the library is the most pleasant place in the school. It was the first room completed after I arrived, because I wanted children to have a genuine enjoyment in the process of reading books. We're continuing a programme of rolling works to ensure the site reflects our vision to be a school for Oxford, promoting life and learning to the full. Next on the list is to replace the fence at the front with railings which allow us to be seen and known. We'll also make the trees which Newman planted more visible. Our school masthead was designed by Christian artists who put into an image my vision the school might be a small part of the vision of the kingdom in Revelation 22 that sustained by the river of life we might be a source of healing for the nations. With a good intake into reception this year we renamed the class acorns acorns with a view to renaming the others two year one and two become shoots year three and four become saplings and year five and six become oaks reminding us of the goal of education to draw out all that god has placed in the child so they might be oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor another way of de- celebrating the newman legacy is by installing some beautiful oak pews which were designed by him which have been given to us by the parish church they're a tangible way of remembering the heritage we stand on with its vision for education rooted in the Christian faith. I mentioned at the beginning that I said to my husband I think I should start a school. Instead, I've inherited something I'm trying to conserve and transform at the same time. And there are challenges to that, not least as you establish fresh vision in an established institution. I've had various ways of doing that. I've always said our open mornings are for current and future families, and where we're making the vision of the school visible. This year was themed around Robin Hood, and as people travelled through each classroom, they found more about the man and his mission... But it was carefully crafted that each room also explained the school in its mission, showcasing different areas of our curriculum, and how they're done distinctively. And an open day like this attracts people to it who are looking for it. One of our most dedicated families came in October 2018 and at the end said, we'd been praying like an education like this for our daughter, but we didn't think it existed. We have end of topic assemblies for families sharing the learning that's done across the school. We host Friday forums after these to let parents know what's coming next and staff craft their reports about the children to parents based around the seven C's, describing the child according to the virtues of learning we're seeking to cultivate. Weekly Letters Home drip-feed the ethos of what we're doing and envision parents for a partnership in learning with the school and their children. We open up many of our Friday afternoon fun sessions for parents to share together in our learning. Our Friday afternoon fun sessions were initially my way of modelling the type of learning I wanted to see normalised within the school, I describe it as low threshold, high ceiling, so a four-year-old can come into it and a year six can't be bored. Just like planning lessons around questions, it's harder than it looks, but it recognises that we can all enter the world and explore it, but we might do so at different levels. Um, And the skill of the educator is to open up a world of discovery to the child and allow them to adventure inside. Staff plan curriculum together, developing generative topics under the theme which deeply interest us as classrooms are only places of rich learning if staff rooms already are. It's part of enculturation that children catch the joyful learning of their teachers, and I write job specs for new staff which expect the same attributes of learning that we're seeking in our children. As staff, we reflect on what we've done with a common evaluative tool of what worked well and even better if. It's fairly hardwired into my system, and I relentingly push the needle closer towards the vision I've articulated. Each year, as we've gone through the cycle of curiosity, discoveries and creators, we reflect and said, that was the best one yet. And that's my first reflection on the story so far, that change takes time, but the process of change itself is a process of learning. When we designed the Tree Mastered, I asked the designers to make one for each season. There was a Bible verse about trees for spring, summer, autumn and winter, and they beautifully encapsulated each season in an image which hangs in our lobby. It made visible a number of things, that the endeavor is worth pursuing in season and out of season, but also that there are rhythms of change embedded into life. Constant pursuit of change through improvement is not about being capricious, but growing stronger as we strive towards a clear goal. While we pursue, things that, while we pursue change so we grow in a healthy way, I've also learned to understand that God has something that I call a grace pace, that is often slower than what I would like the pace to be. But he choreographs change in a steady way, often holding fragile things together while he gathers the pieces of the puzzle and places them exactly where they should be so he might learn from his wisdom. Rome wasn't built in a day but they were laying bricks every hour. The walls of Jerusalem weren't rebuilt in a day and there was discouragement and frustration in the project but when it was finished the surrounding nations realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Secondly, My reflection is that thoughtful Christian education must flow out of a thoughtful devotion to Christ, His Church, and His world. When I was in South Africa, there were very few classicists, and it was easy to bond over a love of learning that was whole. But I learnt through some difficult experiences that my reason I had for loving my subject were very different to those of colleagues who are not Christian. In this city of all cities, where we see how idolatrous learning can become, we need to be aware as Christians that we are not immune to this either. I talk about Emmanuel being a visible declaration to the city of the Lordship of Christ over life and learning. But if we're to be that, I know that inside the building must be a devotion to Christ, a desire that school will be part of how he builds his church, not the other way around, and that we bless his world. And lastly, we need to reach out to our primary stakeholders affirming, confronting, and transforming their goals for their children's learning. Christian schools have a number of stakeholders, just like Virgil, they need a Mycenas who will back their vision particularly when an education such as the one I've outlined will necessarily need to be independently funded. I'm personally grateful to the individuals who, having no direct benefit of the school, have supported half my salary for the last three years. I'm also aware that we have many families who are at a life stage where they can't actually afford an education that they really value. And over the years, we've been helped to support them um, in an ad hoc way, but we've begun to actively pursue fee sponsorship for them so that all who share our vision can experience it. But all the educational vision in the world lacks impact if parents are not attracted to it. And while in a room like this we may all be convinced of the importance of a broad education which nurtures wisdom, there are trade-offs for parents. When I spoke at my interview in 2017, my final paragraph addressed one of the challenges we face when developing a broad liberal curriculum. Christian parents are not immune to the desire to force-feed our children's learning, learning rather than encouraging a love of learning. We can find significance and satisfaction in our children's achievements rather than contentment in knowing they love by God. We devour knowledge because of the power or status it gives us rather than the opportunity it gives us to love God with heart, soul, mind and strength. One of my favourite jobs as principal is taking prospective parents around the school and sharing our vision with them. Some parents are very honest with me. They love what we're doing but they want to be sure it works and their child will be able to get into a prestigious senior school. And while I have many examples of alumnae who have excelled at such schools, I also want to push back at the mindset that spends every stage of education asking, how will this help with jumping through the next hoop? Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt in their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, describe this resume arms race. The problem with arms races is they're filled with fear, trying to ensure you have enough firepower to outgun anyone who stands in your way. I often speak with parents about fear that education instills as we're terrified of our child tripping over a hoop. But we aren't preparing our children for the next hoop, we're preparing them for life, a life filled with courageous, curious, creative, Christ-centered learning. We're drawing out and cultivating the image of God in each child, preparing them for the city of God where the image of God will find completion face to face with Christ. It's not wrong to seek excellence in education, but as a Christian educator and a recovering perfectionist, I've refined my definition of excellence as every child being enabled to find and foster their gifts to the full. Matthew 25 has much to say about the cultivation of talents and how fear buries them. But it's telling that the well done for the man who turns five talents into ten is the same as the man who turns two talents into four, well done, good and faithful servant. Our goals in liberal education cannot be defined by mere metrics. They're not shallow but deep. They're not narrow but broad. They're not hoop-sized but whole. Our goal is that those who are shaped by it are people rooted in faith, deep in character and refined for the service they are uniquely called and fitted for. But just as I educate by faith, rooting our learning and gospel wisdom and goals, I also market by faith, trusting that if this education is true, good and beautiful, it will attract people. And I lead by faith, trusting that God will continue to supply the governance and staff and finances needed to sustain and realise the vision. But all of us who care about such an education as this must take care to make it intelligible and visible. In this way, those who are genuinely seeking it, whether Christian or non-Christian, whether classically educated or not, whether financially free or under constraint, might access it and experience its blessing. In this way, a broad liberal education, which equips people for wise and courageous living, may become a force which transforms our families, our churches and our culture. Thank you very much. Um, I overran by uh, two minutes, so I think I've only got eight minutes for questions. Is that right? Um, But if you have questions, um, do fire away. I alluded to it at the beginning in terms of my own cultural formation that I think um, there is a status um, that intelligence gives us that is what we cling to and I think that actually service is what we should be giving ourselves to um, and um, so that is one thing that I feel um, that we end up being defined by sounding clever rather than actually giving ourselves to serving others with the learning that we have. And there is much of that, and there is much of learning that has to be done simply to make the discoveries we don't know are there, and I understand that. So I'm not opposed to learning for learning's sake. But I think that um, wherever we go in life, we find greasy poles of status and power. And in this city, the greasy pole is mainly around learning, where there's status and power that comes with it that we influence, rather than the influence to do good for its own sake. I think, well, very much for me, it's, well, okay, I'll go back to my Joburg experience. So <clears throat> we lived in Joburg from 2008, and initially we worked in Soweto um, in the township. My husband was assistant minister there. And we would travel from the suburbs into Soweto every Sunday. And he said, he noticed every week I got more and more subdued as we went in. And, and the, Soweto the townships were designed to subdue the human spirit. They weren't designed to enliven it. Mm-hmm. And they, they did that to me as we drove in. And then we arrived. At, I arrived at St. John's College in 2011, which was um, built by these Oxford men, and they made it look like an Oxford college. It's beautiful. And I just had this sense of freedom walking around, and it took me three, to, three months to realize, and I said, I feel like I'm back in Oxford. I feel like, and it was not Oxford itself, it was the beauty. And suddenly I realized my spirit had been enlivened, not by the, so much by the work I was doing, but the environment I was in and I was going to bring the picture today, but the school actually was on the edge of Urban Decay, so you could see this horrible sort of stuff on the other side, and then this beautiful... It had been cut into the slope of the hill, cut out of the brick of the hill. Um, We had a statue of David in one quad, a pelican in the other. It was all built on Oxford ideas, and it enlivened my spirit. Um, And I think maybe that's where I first realised personally the importance of aesthetics on us, that we don't realise it until it's gone. Um, So that's one thing. And I think, um, there was a talk I went to last year, somebody talked about a redundancy of information, You're just surrounding children by ideas everywhere, um, because I think their spirits are filled by that, and their curiosity is peaked. So at the moment, we've got rock club, and we're building a display cabinet of rocks, just, and we'll change the rocks every month, because I think, kids go, oh, what's changed? And they notice all of those things, and the more you do it, the more they see it. So for me, the visible aspect of school is really important. Interestingly, some colleagues of mine visited the school when I first arrived, so I was given a large chunk of money um, by some generous donors to um, upgrade the school when I got there, because I was quite depressed when I got there. And some colleagues from my school in London, came, um, from Joburg, said, it doesn't feel loved. And we think that love is expressed in, you know, in relationships, and it is. But there's also a visible expression of love that I think we respond to as well. Um, and children respond to that too. I think our spirits were designed to. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the obvious things is... So, when I arrived, um, I got rid of Star of the Week and Excellence Awards. Mm-hmm. And some of that, we're a small school, and it just felt a bit you know, pointless, really. But I also felt, why should we be saying, this is better than that? Your best is good enough. And so, how do you create a community where we say, you can be a five-talenter or a two-talenter, but we actually value the giving of your best? And that's what we've got to value and that's why we introduced the thankfulness assemblies as a way of children expressing what i've learned what i've enjoyed together and that was a way of building community around that um i've pretty much banned us and enter- so i want to say people like, oh they should enter an-, an outside writing competition so they can get their name in a book on things i think you don't need to do that in order to be motivated to do what's lovely that i think and that has been a battle for me to to tell people there is we can trust intrinsic motivation we don't need external motivation that's a big charlotte mason idea that we don't need external motivation children it should come from within Um, but it takes a lot of faith to do it and taking out rewards and all of those things and i've done it i sort of stripped them out because i'm just like let's let's try this Um, so we took the children to a singing competition last year and i didn't tell them that it was going to be because i just wanted them to enjoy it and once they found it wasn't they were so filled with fear and i said we just want you to enjoy music um so we were discussing it with them yesterday and said, oh that's the one that we lost i said you didn't lose you enjoyed yourselves so it's just <laughs> inculturating that idea into them um that we are here to enjoy the gifts that we've been given um yeah so I, but it's in the heart of every i mean i was teaching latin the other day and um i you can just see the seeds of competition and you have to speak to the heart of that and say actually give your best you don't need to rush you don't need to beat you need to give your best um, and honour one another in the process yeah. yes Tom I mean, I think you've obviously you've got a very integrated Christian world here mm-hmm. um, but I'll find that Um I I, mean, I think I you absolutely that's what I alluded to in that last paragraph. I think parents really struggle with it because it um but I think you have to be it. Um I think you have to trust that if people taste it, they'll see it. Um so a lot of what we've done is with the open mornings putting those things and embedded them in more and more, but it is being so that people can see it because people respond to the visible. Um so I think that's important. Yeah. And it takes hard work and prayer. Um yeah. And all the other parts of the spiritual battle as well. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much.